I want to say to you that, that there are messages everywhere. There are messages everywhere telling you what to feel and telling you what to think. And if you're like me, you're, you're really kind of overwhelmed and a little bit confused with who you're supposed to believe. Here's my rule of thumb. I am not going to believe it unless I hear you say it with your own lips or unless I've researched it enough to know that beyond a reasonable doubt, what I hear is true. The danger in that is that there's new technology. It's called deep fake, which means at some point you're going to see a video of me saying something you've never heard me say before. And somebody who doesn't like me could very easily make me say something through video manipulation and you'll believe it's true because you have heard it through my own lips when in fact it's a complete computer animation. Does that scare anybody but me? Does it scare you to think that truth is in such a battle that we as a culture have stooped to the level of putting words on a computer screen, making a person, whether it's a, a government official, whether it's a, a teacher, whether it's a spiritual advisor, whoever, so that the world would believe a lie. That ought to scare us. Because it ought to bring about the truth of what's really going on today in our world. And what's going on today in our world is a battle that is raging and has been raging since the creation of time, the author of the battle is the enemy. It started in the garden with the serpent deceiving Adam and Eve. And it continues up to this day, and it's even ramping up in intensity, I believe, because Jesus is on the edge of his seat, ready to come take his bride, and ready to come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as the Scripture says that he will. But how is it intensifying? What's going on? What are we seeing? Well, we're seeing in the news a massive increase in division. We're seeing a massive increase in hatred. We're seeing a massive increase in fighting brother against brother, nation against nation. We're seeing men and women who have no reason to do it come head-to-head -head with each other and clash over things that they're led to believe, largely in part by what they're told to believe by people who have as their sole goal division of mankind. Of course, specifically, I'm talking about the issue of racism. Have you all been watching the news? Have you seen what's going on? Have you seen the riots and have you seen the protests and have you heard the words that are coming out of people's mouths? Does it not trouble you that as a nation, we are not farther along than we are? Can anybody in here say with me, my heart is broken that we have not figured out that there is no superior person. Because our Constitution says all people are created what? And yet still today, we're fighting this fight. My message today is dangerous. Because... I know that after today, some of you will hate me, some of you will love me, and some of you will say, I think I'm going to go look at this a little further. But you know, how can I not speak to the issue that is on the forefront of the American heart and mind? That is, of course, the issue of racism. The issue of one group feeling or being told they're superior than another. Let me start by one passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to move on to several others. I want to give you a biblical perspective, and I want to give you somewhat of a historical perspective, all in 30 minutes, and I have a surprise at the end. That's really not the way to say it, but I have a gift to give you at the end, okay? Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. This is our launching point because this is who Jesus says we're supposed to be. Matthew 5, verse 9, says this. And by the way, who's saying this? It's Matthew 5, 9. So we know this is within the Sermon of the Mount. This is Jesus giving our, us the Beatitudes, right? He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. 
What is a peacemaker? A peacemaker is one who goes between two warring parties and seeks to bring peace between the two. And I'm thankful, I'm happy to say that the church historically has been a peacemaker in the issue of racial equality. Be careful because the church has not always done a good job at it. But one of the contributions to the world, if you look in history books, you'll find that the church, the people of God, have always fought as a, as a whole, anyways, for equality and for fairness and for treating people the way the Bible says to be treated. One of the prime examples is William Wilberforce. Have you heard the story? I won't tell you the whole story, but essentially William Wilberforce started a movement against all odds to abolish slavery. And, it, it, and, and he did this because of his conviction that the Word of God says that humans are not property and humans are not less than someone else, but all men. All women, all people were created in the image of God and therefore have equal standing under God. And if you go back and you look at, at other times where the church has stood out and said, this is not right, the church has been a major force in dealing with this issue of racism. But I will also be honest and tell you that the church has not always done a good job at it. Does that make sense? I'm not, I'm not speaking out of both sides of my mouth. I'm saying that with the bigger picture, the church has trumpeted this cause. But with the smaller picture, in isolated parts of history, the church has completely failed and completely dropped the ball. We should be honest enough to say that. Amen? We should be honest enough to say the church has not done all that she can do. But on a macro level, historically speaking... The church always, eventually, speaks truth. I say that to say, we do that as the people of God because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We're to be peacemakers, folks. A peacemaker is someone who stands between two warring parties. A peacemaker is one who tries to bring the two people or the two parties together. It's one who tries to use reason and kindness and love and gentleness to pull the tension down and to find resolution. But if you're like me, I'm stuck in this moment because I can't fix what's going on. And I'm frustrated because what I want to say, I can't say because I don't even know the words I'm allowed to say when I want to say what I want to say. Anybody feel that way? I had a, a conversation with T this week. It was a gift to me. We sat down at Baskin Robbins and we had ice cream. That was a gift in itself. But the gift was I was able to tell her exactly how I feel. And she was able to tell me exactly how she feels. And we were able to listen, not necessarily as black and white, but as brother and sister who happened to be a different ethnicity. And I was able to hear what it means to be a person of color in our country today. And I was able to hear the fear. And I was able to hear from somebody I trust what it's like to have to be given the speech at a young age. These are the things you can do and these are the things you cannot do. Because if you don't do these things, you might die. Now, I've taught my kids a lot of stuff. But I've never had to tell them, listen, because of the color of your skin, you need to be careful in this situation. But that is the reality for those who are black in the United States of America. Because that speech is what causes the caution, but it also reinforces the fear. And do you see how that cycle just keeps going on and on and on? Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 12. Let's look at a first passage of Scripture 
because I want us to uh, I want us to dive into this, and I want us to try to see first from a biblical perspective what's our responsibility, and then from a a, a historical perspective. So Romans chapter twelve. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, verse 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we are no longer to conform to the pattern of this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're to have the mind of Christ, the Scripture tells us. But we're to have the mind of Christ because there is intense pressure for us to conform to the pattern of this world. But guess what? It's not a new pattern. It's not a pattern that just came about. It is a pattern that was created back in the garden. It was a pattern that, that the enemy has, has devised to cause division and brokenness and hatred between those who are supposed to love each other. We could go all the way back to the first murder. Do you remember what it was? Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel because of jealousy. I suspect somewhere in there, there is a feeling of superiority. We can go all throughout biblical history and see nation against nation. We can see the entrapment and enslavement of people. A lot of it was monetarily. A lot of it was just ethnically. But let's start with our current condition and let's move backwards, shall we? Let me show you that this is not a new thing. It's not isolated to the United States of America and it's not isolated to black and white. It just happens to be that for us, black and white is a predominant issue. But we could also say it's white and Latino. What do you think it'd be like to be a Latino in our culture today? If you talk to Gabo, he will tell you that Latinos are scared to death to even come out of their homes. Well, you shouldn't have illegals here, folks. Are we assuming all Latinos are illegal? Is that our first assumption? Even if somebody's illegal, they're still creating the image of God. They're still a human being that has infinite value, just as much value as you and I. These things that come out of our mouth in defense of our own ideas and our own justification of our own rights have no place for the person who is a Christ follower. Do you know that merely, and, and I'm going way too far back to start, but in the 60s, 70 years ago, is that it? No, 60 years ago. 20, right. 60 years ago, we lived in a nation where if you were black, you could not use a water fountain that a white person used. Can you comprehend that? I cannot comprehend that. I cannot comprehend getting onto a bus and having to walk all the way to the back simply because my skin was different. That, that I literally can't, I do not have a place in my head to comprehend that, but that was our country simply 60 years ago. Can you comprehend being accused of a crime because, well, they all look alike without facts, without evidence, without proof? But because somebody needed to pay the price, well, we'll just use you. I hope that offended you, that phrase, they all look alike, because that was a very common phrase. In fact, if you go to some parts of our country today, you'll still hear that phrase. I have some friends whose worship if, if you, even today in 2020, as if you were a black man and you walked to their, into their church, they may allow you once 
But if you try to come back, they will kindly explain to you that you have other churches that are your option. 2020. Does that bother anybody but me? So in the 60s, you've seen, you've seen the videos, you, you, you've read the history. But do you know that not too long before that, without the right to vote, without, to, without the right to have true equal status, a person who was black had little option for doing anything but the lowest level and the lowest pay work. I won't skip around too much, but there's a movie that has recently come out. Jamie Foxx is in it. I recommend you watch it. It's called Just Mercy. Have you seen it? It's the true story of a man who was accused of a murder because he was black on the testimony of one person who was in prison who got a reduced sentence, basically, for simply saying, I saw the man. He spent six years on death row before he was finally acquitted after a lengthy appeals process that was denied over and over and over. Oh, by the way, it was Monroe or Monroeville, Alabama. Oh, by the way, the date was the early 1990s. I just want you to think about this. I'm, I'm wanting you to feel this this morning. Because I think part of our problem is we've approached racism from an intellectual perspective and we haven't felt the reality of what people are feeling today. And I'm guilty of that because I'm an intellectual kind of a guy, meaning I like to process things with my head. I don't want to feel it. I want to know it. But here's the deal. What we're seeing today is not going to be fixed with facts. What we're feeling or what we're dealing with today is going to be felt or is going to be dealt with. It's going to be, going to be moved along towards healing by empathy. It's not going to be dealt with by simply saying, yes, but. It's going to be dealt with by saying, I will walk in your shoes. I am willing to listen to the pain inside of your heart. Because I acknowledge that the pain in your heart is foreign to me. And because of that, I need you. If you go even further back, by the way, Just Mercy, I recommend you watch it. It's, it's brand new, and it's free, by the way. I know that excites some of you who excited me. If you go further back, do you know that in, during World War II, nearly six million Jews were slaughtered simply because of their ethnicity? And do you know that that was a case where the church remained silent, largely? Because the Nazi regime convinced the church that it was not their job to speak on the issue. And by the way, there's a little money involved too. Six million people slaughtered because they were inferior to a white man. You know what the apartheid is? That's South Africa. Nelson Mandela made a great... Oh, man, I forgot to bring it. Sorry. Nelson Mandela made a phenomenal statement about this. I'll have to show it to you next week. You know that in 1915, there was a great tragedy of one and a half million Armenians who were slaughtered in Turkey. Ethnic cleansing. Do you know that in Australia, starting in about 1794, 1795, the slaughter of the Aborigine people, and it lasted well into the 1920s, where just because you were an Aborigine, you were not considered human. You were considered less than human. Did you know that? Did you know that in our country, in the, in the 1940s, a woman by the name of Margaret Sanger led a, led a, 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 uh, uh, a belief system that believed that there were an inferior people 
and a superior people. And the inferior people, those who could not contribute good genes to society, were either uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not castrated, but for for a lady, sterilized. Thank you. They were sterilized so that they could not have any more useless eaters. Was the term? Did y'all know that? Useless eaters. Can you comprehend a world in which we would call a human being a useless eater? Someone who eats food but has no value as a human being whatsoever. If you go back even further than that, you find atrocity after atrocity after atrocity. In fact, all you have to do is go into Scripture and see in John chapter 4, where Jesus was walking through Samaria. He was walking a path that Jews didn't walk. Why? Because it was Samaria. They would go the long way around not to have to go through Samaria because Samaritans were half-breeds. They were considered half-breeds because they were half-Jewish and half-non-Jewish. And they were despised by the Jews. And when Jesus walked through, he stopped at a well. It happened to be a historical well. It was a well built by one of the forefathers, one of the pillars of Judaism. And this well at Sychar had a woman there. Why was the woman there and nobody else was there? Because she had a little past. And when he got to the well, he said to the woman, woman, give me a drink. And she looked around and she said, you talking to me? I'm talking to you. How can you be, this is what she said, how can you be talking to me? I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew, and Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. See, this is not a 2020 problem. It's not a 1960 problem. It's not a 1915 problem. It's not a 1794 problem. It's a human condition problem. There's always been a group of people who placed themselves superior over another group of people. And the church of Jesus Christ has been called out not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that we can know what God's will is, His good, His pleasing, His perfect will. Listen to the rest of this passage. Because we look at this, and so far we've talked about all of the racism and all of the favoritism and all of the superiority outside of the church, but it's inside of the church as well. Why? Because it's a scheme of the enemy. Romans 12 says, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't think of yourself as superior, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you just because each of us, or just as each of us, has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace, and then he goes on to say... If you have this gift, use your gift. But if you have this gift, use your gift. And his point is, those who have this gift should not say, I am more important than you. It's favoritism. It's a superiority complex. It happened in Acts chapter 6. Remember what happened there? The widows started complaining. But they were just and right in their complaints. See, the Hellenistic Jewish widows came to the church leaders and said, this is not fair because the the distribution of food is being given first to the Hebraic Jewish widows and then to us. Why? Because there was favoritism. If you were Jewish, you got priority. If you were not Jewish, you got what was left over. And when the, the leaders of the church heard that, they said, this is not right 
And then they appointed what we essentially would call deacons to be servants to make sure that justice and mercy was equally apportioned throughout the people of God. And so there is this systemic nature of favoritism and of, of, of superiority and of racism that has been since the creation of time. But as the people of God, we've got to recognize that it isn't fixed yet and it's not going to be fixed. There will never be a day on earth to where we, have, we can say, you know what, racism doesn't exist. That will never happen no matter what we do because it's part of the human condition. It will never happen until Jesus Christ comes and takes his throne as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because the Bible tells us at the end of the story in Revelation that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it also tells us that one day we will be one people with one voice, with one song. And that song is, Worthy is the Lamb of God. Does that not excite you? But see, I tell you that to say, we live in this luminal state where we know that we're not going to totally fix the problem. We know that Jesus will fix the problem eventually, but between here and there, we still have to do something because Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what does the kingdom of heaven look like? It looks like where there's no favoritism. It looks like where the color of your skin is not ignored, but it's celebrated for the diverse beauty that it is. You know, a lot of times we say, well, I don't see in color. That's, that's not good. We should see color. We should just see color, though, as a beautiful tapestry of what God created, not as something to divide us and separate us. So in this room, no doubt, by the way, if you continue through uh, chapter 12, let me just read this for you. Chapter 12, verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Racism is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves, never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And then the final verse, do not be overcome by evil, but what? Overcome evil with good. So here's where we're going to transition just a little bit. We know that the Bible says that all men, all people, I say men generically, all people are created in the image of God. We know that. Most of us in this room believe that and we try to live that. I don't think that I could find uh, uh, any real racism in this room, and I say real racism, like I don't think anybody in this room, as far as I know, would be like, I hate all people of color, or, you know, I think I'm better. I don't think that would be the case. What we have, though, are probably places in our own hearts that there's still attitudes that need to be changed. In my own heart and in your heart, and the thing is that it's not just white people who are racist. Black people are racist. Even people in India can be racist. In fact, they have an entire system built on a superior group, a mid-level group, and an inferior group. And I'm not saying that as an insult. I'm saying that's the reality of an entire nation. Why? Because it's the human condition. So what I want to say to you today is this. If we know the Bible says that we are to love people, if we know the Bible says that we're to be peacemakers, if we know the Bible says that all of us are built and made in the image of God and highly valued, then it's our job to start taking steps that actually lead towards peace and reconciliation rather than either staying out of the fight altogether or being on one side or the other. Amen? So here's where I struggle. 
I told you, I, I struggle with knowing even what word to use. Like in my conversation with T, by the way, she knows I'm saying this, so it's not like she's not over here going, I can't believe you're saying this. I told her, I said, I, I'm really confused. I don't even know what to call you. Do I call you black? Do I call you African-American? I mean, what, what, what's the right term? Do I not say anything at all? She kind of smiled and she goes, well, you know, <laughs> African-American's probably the safest bet. But that, that kind of illustrates the point. Does anybody feel confused as to what you can actually say? Does anybody have an opinion about something that you want to share because you really want to understand, but you're afraid to say it because if you do, there's hatred, or what seems like hatred at least, from, the up, from, from whatever opposing side that says, you can't say that. Here are words that we struggle with. We struggle with um, black lives matter. We struggle with that because we say, no, all lives matter. And so this side says, yes, but black lives matter. It's black lives that are being, that, 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 are, that are dying. And over here say, yes, but all lives matter. We should all be equal. Here's the interesting thing. Terminology is the problem in this. Most everybody saying these things would agree all lives matter. Most everybody saying this would agree that black lives matter. But simply terminology is keeping us divided. Here's another one. Kneeling during the national anthem. Huge issue. Because this side would say... I'm kneeling to call attention to the death of black men in disproportionate numbers. The other side would say, how can you be so disrespectful to our country and to our flag and to the men who died to give us freedom? You know the real problem with that is? The issue is being confused because of the action. Does that make sense? So in other words, what's happening is the enemy is using the action to confuse us so that we don't hear what actually is being said. My message to you today is this. Try to look through your own perspective and see it from someone else's perspective. Crazy things are happening even in the... well. Uh, here's something funny. This, this doesn't fit right here, but I just thought of it, so I'm going to tell you. So I was having lunch, uh, dinner with one of the cops in, in, in Gulf Breeze this past week, and he said, you know, I talked to a buddy of mine who's a cop in Chicago, and he is, he is totally confused because the Latin kings and another gang have joined forces to turn in the looters and the rioters to the police. Think of how funny that is, really. Like two rival gang-banging uh, uh, gangs have decided they would join together as a team and go chase down the looters and the rioters. By the way, you know what he also said? A large portion of the looters and the rioters are middle-class white kids. We don't really see that in the news, do we? That's another thing that's confusing. There's looting and there's rioting. And that's pulling us off message. Because now we don't have to deal with systematic racism because we can say, well, look, you had me until you started looting and rioting. Anybody thought that or said that? I thought that. I said that. I mean, come on. You just. But here's the thing. There's, there, there's no justification for that. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. But those things are fringe that are designed by the enemy to cause us to miss the message and the problem. So my word to you as the people of God is this. Don't get confused by the outskirts or by the fringes or by the small amount of, of things going on in the out. Be humble enough and be honest enough to say, we do have a problem. And it's our job as the people of God to speak towards 
peace and to not incite and not fan the flame of division. Some of our Facebook posts don't help that. For the life of me, oh gosh, help me, Jesus. Did you notice that? I just kept it right here. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I told you I have a gift today. Here's my gift. And by the way, I started this message. I prepared this message knowing that I wasn't going to fix anything. My goal today is not to fix something. My goal is to get us into the conversation, to put us in the fight, to at least cause us to say, what can I do? Well, we can recognize that this is an issue and we can ask God for wisdom. The book of James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally to all, all who will ask. So my gift to you today, not my gift to you, a gift to you, is I have T, who is going to come and share with us, give us the opportunity to listen with honest ears what it would be like to be a young black woman in America today. T, would you come on up here? I have asked her to speak blatantly, honestly, and not have to try to pretend to use, not have to try to make words fit so that you'll hear it right, because I know that you're going to hear this with, 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 with ears and with a heart of love, but I want, I want her to tell you how she feels because it breaks my heart to think that she feels the way that she feels. I know. That's tough, ain't it? There you go. You got to use this. But you got to come over here too. Can I stand here with you? So when all this happened with the video of George Floyd, and we can debate that all day, I think, whether it was racial or not. But when all this happened and all this started up, like, and I saw the protests, I saw the looted. For me, like, it started to have, like, <clears throat> it started to put hate in my heart for the opposite race. And so I was talking to family and friends who are black. I was like, do you guys feel this division? Do you feel this hate? And they was like, yeah. And that's what made me reach out to Jeff. I was like, Jeff, I need to talk with you. I need to let out my emotions. I need to vent. I need to be with someone who is not black to get a different perspective. And so we sat down and we talked and we talked. And I feel like that was a good conversation, right? It was and he gave me insight and I gave him insight. And one of the things that he said was, and one of the things that we talked about, we're gonna use the George Floyd video because that's the most recent. If it was a white cop and a white man, it wouldn't have made the news. If it was a black cop and a black man, it wouldn't have made the news. Because it was a white cop and a black man, it made the news because I believe, because of our history that we came from and for me, like, I believe that all that trauma that came from that, there was really no healing. Like, when we talk about slavery in schools, we don't talk about it in the ending chapter. Okay, book close. We talk about it as if the Roma still exists. And it does exist because proper healing never came from that. So when that split happened, when I guess it was free, like, the white people, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Like you guys, okay, okay. you guys went about your thing, and then like the slaves, they went about, but they had nothing to go to. So you have all this suppressed trauma, all this violence, all this anger, and they're supposed to like live with that. And there was no proper healing. There was no proper nothing. What did the government do? They created like welfare systems that wasn't really to help them. It was just to get the black vote. So there's nothing really set up in place to. I guess to, what is my word I'm looking for? There was nothing really set up in place to close that chapter. And then whenever I would, and the, what, what I told Jeff is like, when all this came out, like, I'm sorry, I'm nervous. When all this came out, it made me think about StoryPoint and how I felt here, how I felt like I didn't belong here. 
I truly felt that. And I remember praying to God all the time. I was like, God, do you see my skin color? Like, do you see that I'm black? Because every situation I've been placed in, I've been not only the minority, but I've been the only black person. And I was getting tired and I was getting old because I would go home and it would be like a culture shock. Like I go to my parents' house and I go to the neighborhood and I see the neighborhoods that are there and it's a culture shock to me. And then I come to Cuff Breeze, we have the, you guys have the nice yards, have the nice houses, and I'm surrounded by a predominantly white group. And it's like, God, who am I? And then not only was I struggling with identity and being black, I come here and I would hear like jokes and I just had to awkwardly laugh it off. And then like a month ago when I was walking with Crystal, I was, we was walking with Breeze and somebody said, ew, you're walking with the, the N-word. So like that Roma still exists. So like when people say Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter, like you said, like yes, All Lives Matter, but right now we're talking about Black because we want to be heard. We want to be seen. We want to know that you feel our pain, that you feel our need, that you see us. It's not, the, it's not to say, no, like you guys are like bad, da, 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 da. It's just the fact that I think our community wants someone that sees us. It wants someone that hears us. And it has to be you because of our history, because of what we came from. And so I don't know, I don't know if you guys know Candace Owens. I listen to a lot of Candace Owens. I'm, like, I'm not biased or anything. I get both perspectives. One of the things that she said, she said, Black Lives Matter movement is only created by the liberals. Yeah, they could use that. They could. Both sides could use it. They can use it to gain votes. But you're still missing the point. You're missing the point that your culture, your people, my people, want to be seen, want to be heard. I shouldn't have to come. And if, if my life mattered, I shouldn't have to worry about walking down the street in Gulf Breeze being called the N-word. When I was in middle school and I played basketball, AAU basketball, I, tell, I was telling Jeff, I had to sit in the trunk of a truck because we had to go to J, we had to go to J Florida and we had to practice there. And all I knew is black people cannot go to J. I was in middle school. When I was in high school playing basketball, we went to Pace, Florida, and doing warm-ups. There was a group of white boys. They were throwing things at us. This is modern day. They were throwing things at us, at us and they was calling us monkeys. Nobody held them accountable. Nobody said that was wrong. Everybody looked and everybody laughed and everybody thought it was a joke. So I went to my coach. I said, do you hear what they're saying? She said, ignore it. So it's like, not only my situation, that's only what I experienced with racism in this world. But this is a whole culture who's continuing to experience it, continuing to experience it. So it's like, what do you expect the black culture to do? Not only do we experience oppression from a capitalist, capitalist perspective, perspective, from a capitalist mindset, we also experience oppression within the oppression, within our culture. Because to my family, I'm too white. Like my family, and I listen to music that is not rap music, that is not glorifying my mind, I'm too white. But then I come here, and if I really wanted to be who I want to be, then I'm too black. So it's like, I started saying, I was like, God, like, where is the fine line in this? Like, what do I do? So I'm always torn whenever something of this nature comes out. I'm always torn because I come here and I see you guys, and you're my church family, and you do not look like me. But that's a beautiful thing. But I come here and sometimes I'm scared because it's like, what's in your hearts? My, I brought five of my nieces in here, <clears throat> and, the, um, and we had to sit out and wait, and I was on the prayer team that time. And I watched someone in this room stare them down. And it wasn't with, it was with, like, it wasn't like stare them down out of love. Like, they stared them down out of uncomfortableness. And I didn't say anything, I just watched it. And it's to the point where someone who else saw it came to them and said, no, it's a good thing that they're here. So if you're going to stare them down, you have to stare me down because I'm just like them. If you're not, if you're going to hate them, then you have to hate me. Because the only difference is I just go to church here. There's no difference between me and them. There was one time where, I'm sorry, I'm nervous. There was one time where someone here said, T, I was afraid of black people before I met you. That did something to me. Because I was like, what? What do you mean? I think... What we're trying to say is, we want you to see us, we want you to hear us. I want you to see my culture, I want you to love my culture, I don't want you to be afraid. If I have my brothers walking here, I don't want you to clink your purse. I don't want you to get tired, I don't want you to scoot your children over and say, sit with me. If I walk my brothers in here, I want you to love them just as much as you'll love me. 
as reality is, I feel like that would not happen. It won't. And then not only that, we have a president. I get it, he's a great businessman. He really is, I'm not denying that. We have a president, I feel like, expire, like inspire all of this hate culture, inspire all of this racism. And then it's like, whenever I see like people in StoryPoint uplift that, and it makes me question in my heart, it makes me question you, like, what is it about him? I get he's a great businessman, I'm not denying that. But what part about him that you love so much? Like, do you love that he's a great businessman? Or do you love the fact that he could be so divisive and he could say things out of his mouth with no repercussions, with no accountability? And so that's what goes in my mind whenever I see like a make America great again. That's what, that's what I think. What is it about it? Was it about him? It scares me. If I brought my family in here, it would scare them. If I brought my nieces in here, it would scare her. She was six years old when I had a conversation with her about, race, race, about racism and all this. She was six. I shouldn't have to do that. If Black Lives Matter, we would not be in this position. If Black Lives Matter, that video would not have surfaced the way it did. It would have just been another case. It would have just been gone. It would never get the media. And yes, the media do eat it up. I know that. But don't allow the media, don't allow the protests, don't allow the looting and everything that's going on take our eyes off the biggest picture. And yes, we do have an enemy who's feeding off this. I know that as well. But it's like, what do you do? What do you give? I think what I would do if I was the opposite race, I think I would get outside of my shell because we have a group of people who if I, they were walking here, they would, they would tighten up, which means they're scared, their anxiety is high, they're running off of fear, they're running off of hate, they're running off of anger. I think you have the power to change that by just simply walking up to them and just seeing them as a person. I told Jeff, I desire a diversity church, not just white and black, but all ethnicities. I desire that so much to the point where it makes me sick to know that it has not happened yet. But also know that I'm doing my part with my people. Because when I go home and they talk about Story Point and they talk about Caprice, I don't talk to my family. My family does not know I agree with them. I come for them from a conservative mindset. And I will continue to do it because I want them to expand. I want them to broaden their thinking. I want to criticize them. Just the way Candace criticizes, criticizes the African-American community. I think that's important. That's how we grow our brains. But don't just think from a conservative mindset. Don't think from a far left, from a far right. Don't allow, don't allow all of that to get in the way of what could be something so beautiful and what could be something that's so great. And to think that like, my, my neighbor, he passed away, my parents' neighbor. This was a man who went to church every Sunday and lifted his hand to God. And this is, all the same, this is also the same man that when my brother get out of the car, he would flick him off and call him the N-word. And I went to the church that was by my parents' house. So I've seen him there and I would stare at them like, how can you, I just don't understand, like, how can you praise God? How can you lift your hands with God and have such an evil heart and evil spirit to the opposite race, not just black, but in minorities in general? I don't comprehend it. I don't get it. My other parents, my other neighbors on my other parents' side, she's an older woman. She's like 96, I believe. Whenever I have my nephews out there who's four, five, and six, I have to watch them because she would literally come out her door and she would just stand there with the most evil look. And she would call the cops on them. She would just stare at them as if they're disgusting. And these are my nephews who are only four, five, and six. They have no idea what's going on. So then here we are in this place, right? Here we are in this place. We have one side that's, that has a conservative mindset, which is okay. I'm not denying that. We have one side that has this conservative mindset, but we have also this one side who are racist, and they're teaching their children to be racist, and they're teaching their children to hate black people. But then you also, in this also group, you have the people who are not racist, who are not teaching their children to be racist. But then you have this one culture, right? And, we're, and they're teaching me, I need to fear my life when I get pulled over. Because I don't know. They're teaching me that because of my skin color, I'm automatically labeled as aggressive. They're teaching me to live with fear, to live with anxiety. So you have this going like this, right? And then you have this going like this. 
when there is no bridge of gap, there is no unity, there is no connection. And all it is, honestly, all it is, is in the mind. That's what I think. I think all of this is in the mind. And then you have the enemy feeding it. Because whenever I would think about God, I am unworthy because of my color, of my skin. I, some, I struggle with being black because everything about us is different. I'm in the spirit, so I know that's the enemy. Other people who are not in the spirit, they don't know that's the enemy. They think that is you. And that's why they need you. That's why I feel like we need people outside of our race to talk with them, to love on them, to see that some of it is in our mind, yes, but all of so is on a capital perspective, it's on a capital level. And if you don't think that way, then say it. Don't just be quiet. Like, speak up and say it. That's what I was telling Jeff. Like, he was saying, I guess someone posted, like, I don't want you to speak. I want you to listen. I was like, yes, yes, Jeff, because we want to be heard. Like, I want to be heard. I don't want to have to raise my son up to fear anybody, especially the police. And to talk about that, we have police officers, right, who are already on high anxiety, who are already in fear of their life, who have a high-risk job. And they're building up, especially with all this hate that's going on. They're building up, and they just keep building and building and building. And then you have one culture who is teaching their children to fear the police. Don't trust a man in a suit. Don't trust a white man with a red tie. Don't trust a conservative. Don't trust a Republican. And they're building up. And they're going it. We're going to eventually have to hold each other accountable. We're going to eventually have to try to bend it. Because if not, it's just going to be history repeating itself. We haven't learned. I feel like America hasn't learned from the history of slavery. And that's why that aroma still exists in the air. That's why when we teach it, we don't teach it, oh, the end. No, we teach it with the door open. We can't teach it from a perspective of we are survivors of that. We teach it from a perspective of we're victims of that, from both sides. And I don't know, I just to say, if anything I could say to someone who's opposite of my race, it would be to see that all we need in the black culture, in the minority culture, any other culture, all we need is love from you. If we believe that you're superior, you have so much power then, right? You believe that you're superior then all we need is to show that you care, you love, you see, and you hear, whether you support Trump or you don't. All we need is that you love, you care, you see us, you hear us, you want us, you want to be with us, you want to be with the family. From any minority group, I think. Can, I, can we pray? <laughs> can I pray? Yeah, please. Okay. So here's what we're going to do then. If we can touch hands with each other so that no hands are separate, so that all hands are connected, which meaning everybody in this room needs to have hands on each other. How about shoulders? Yeah, shoulders, okay. yeah. God, you're so good. And God, you're love, and God, you know that it hurts my spirit to see everything that goes on. But on top of that, God, I know that it hurts your spirit by far. God, I pray if people get offended, God, that they remember the example that you give us when you get offended, God. You didn't lash out. God, you didn't create a post. God, you quietly and submissively humbled yourself into the depth of the cross. God, I pray for both parties, but for both sides, God, I pray for unity. God, I pray for division. No, God, I pray against division. God, I pray that in the midst of all this, God, that we will still look to you, God. We will still believe that you're good, that you're, that you're still in control, that you're still on your throne. And as we see, like, in Scripture, that it's going to get worse, God. It doesn't mean we still have to fear because we know the king that reigns. That's right. God, we know the king that sits. God, we know the king that stands. We know the king that sits with the footstool, with his feet on the footstool of his enemies. And God, I pray if there's anything that I could do that you would bring it to mind. If there's anything anybody else in this room could do that it, you would bring it to your mind, God, that this would be a change of heart moment, not only in this room, but God, in our world, in our society, in our culture, outside of America. God, we say all the time and time again that you can use 
You can turn evil into good. And God, we see that you are turning into good because God, this shifted our culture for the good. And God, we just love you so much. As Kevin said, like, give us Jesus, right, God? But if we give us you, God, we have to act like we have you. Mm. God, would you help us act like we have you? God, will we be the change? God, will we become united? God, so that it starts here first, and then it makes it out to the world. Because it has to start within, God, and it has to start with you. Like, you have to be the glue, God. You have to be the mediator. In order for true, true unity, God, it has to be in you. Because if it's not in you, God, it's going to be broken and messed up, and it's just going to repeat itself all over again. Christ, we love you. Christ, we want you. God, here's our broken hallelujah. God, here's our broken prayer. God, here's my broken prayer. I'm the last person that should have this microphone, God, and you know that. But God, out of your love, out of your mercy, God, out of your gentleness, you still allow it to happen. God, you still allow us to speak. God, will we help us see each other and not just the color of our skin, God, would you help us see each other and not just our background, our ethnicity, God? Would you help us see you within each other? And the spirit or not, God, would you help us see you whenever we look at another human being? God, would you help us not to be biased, not to just view the world from two different parties, three different parties, seven different parties, God? Would you help us view the world through your lens, your scripture, your word, your heart, and your eyes. God, that's all we want. That's all we want. God, that's all I want. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Man. That took incredible courage. Amen. Well, we need to end uh, our time together. But let's not end the, the heartbeat of what God is doing. Like I said, we, we can't fix anything except for what we have responsibility for. So you do what you were called to do. I, I kind of feel like we need, a, uh, we need some feedback for you. Does anybody have anything you want to share, like, with, with T? Anybody, did, did something rise up in you that you needed to say to T? Anybody? Maybe, maybe not. I'm just, maybe it's something personal, but. Yes, sir? Thank you, Donnie. It's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of works. Yes, sir. I hear you. Thank you. I'm going to screw it up, but at least I heard you. And you can know my heart that when I get it wrong, I want you to help me get it right. <laughs> you just saw that dance, didn't you? It's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of works so that none of us can boast. We are all in need of God's grace. Amen. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do so. I want you to just say to him, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin condemns me and it separates me from you. But I know that Jesus Christ came and he died 
and then he rose again to make me right with God. He said it. There's one mediator, and that mediator is Jesus Christ. We're going to end our time together by, uh, by this song, and um, give me Jesus. How appropriate. So let's, let's sing the song, and when the song's over, we'll be, go ahead and be dismissed. Um, oh, yeah. If, if you've come prepared to give, you got the box over here, and then you also got the green basket. But the thing I'm asking you to give today is give your heart and give your thoughts, give your mind to Christ Jesus. Because when he has those, he has our hands. Will you stand? Let's sing this.